Fans, welcome to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 211, where I'm going to be doing a whole lot of recommending, but only lightly reviewing, of the best of the new comic books that just came out, New Comic Book Day, July 3rd and July 10th. That's right, two new comic book days. And this particular podcast, in absolutely no way, wants you dating its aunt. <laughs> or, uh, it, seriously though, it, it will always love you. Yes, we miss you, Whitney. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Chris Latore. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Sunspots Comics Podcast. I seriously hope that you're having an excellent day or night or morning or afternoon or commute. Whatever it is you got going on, I hope it's excellent. And please do us a tiny Ant-Man-sized favor and hit the subscribe button to the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Then check out all of our past podcasts on our giant man-sized podcast feed. See what I did there? Then follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Xbox Live, and YouTube at Sunspots Comics. That's right, one name for everything. And I always love to start the show with some humble thank yous. Most importantly, thank you to you. Yes, you, the listener. Thank you for listening and choosing the Sunspots Comics podcast. I know there's 4.10 zillion bajillion podcasts out there. Thank you for picking us. And whether this is your first time just trying us out or you're one of our Sunspots Comics loyalists that have been there from the beginning, seriously, thank you for choosing the Sunspots Comics podcast. I hope you have fun with it. I hope you enjoy it. And, of course, thank you to my friend Nick Papa George. Nick Papadopoulos, as I like to call him, for singing our Sunspots Comics theme song. Check out his solo singing stuff on Instagram at Nicholas.Dell and his band Solution at on Instagram at Solution underscore band. If you love Hawaiian-style feel-good reggae music that's kind of infused with rock, then you're going to love all of the sweet and sultry sounds of my friend Nick Papa George and his band Solution. So please check them out, and thank you for making our, our Sunspots Comics theme song, Nick. Thank you. And also, thank you to our sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. My buddy Julian actually hand-makes these awesome augmented reality t-shirts. Yes, AR t-shirts. There's, there's none out there, really. It's a unique kind of thing. And he bases them on cryptozoology. And what you do is you take your smartphone, and you take this HP Reveal app, and you put those two things together, and you point your smartphone at a Cryptid Zoo t-shirt, and watch the shirt come to life in these crazy little weird video presentations. You'll absolutely amaze your friends. you got to check it out. Go over to cryptidzoo.com and use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you'll actually get 25% off of any order. So yes, go and buy the only shirt that comes to life at cryptidzoo.com. So now, I got my single knee pad and my single glove, because that's all you need to be safe when you're doing a superhero landing. As I cautiously make a superhero landing, see, not a scratch, perfectly safe, into the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 211, starting out with some stuff that's been floating around up inside of my nerd brain. The first major nugget of nerd webbed up ever so deeply in my spider psyche is my Spider-Man Far From Home movie review, yes. 
saw it twice, actually. Spoiler alert! I am a spoiler-sensitive person, as you may or may not know, and so my reviews really are more about how I felt about the movie and trying to get you excited and hope that you go and see it based on my recommendation, rather than like a Kevin Smith kind of play-by-play -play thing. But just in case, spoiler alert! So first thing I want to mention is the theater experience. I saw it in IMAX, and it was packed both times. I saw it in IMAX twice. And they even gave out this free little action figure. I'll post a picture of it on my Instagram, at Sunspots Comics. It's a cool little figurine. I thought that's just a nice little touch. But both shows were sold out. It was packed to the gills. Uh, the first time I saw it with my wife, Patsy, and the second time I saw it with my dad. I'll give you their sort of feelings on it later on when I get to the almost overall uh, the opening sequence, <laughs> as you can tell by the song that I selected for this podcast, Whitney Houston, hearing I Will Always Love You, sets a kind of interesting tone, <laughs> which is the very, you know, initial sequence here, to like, wow, okay, uh, maybe this is kind of a romantic film, maybe there's some love situation going on, well, it kinds of being this, this hilarious sort of tribute to Iron Man and Captain America and the Vision and Black Widow for not making it past Endgame. Their game was over. <laughs> and it's just glorious and it's hilarious because it's done by these two students, one being Betty Brandt and one being the uh, the guy that's in the Bumblebee movie. I forget his name. Uh, the sort of guy that uh, has a crush on uh, the main girl in the Bumblebee movie. That guy. Anyway, they're doing like a, uh, like a high, you know, their high school sort of news report about uh, the passing of, of these superheroes, but mostly centerpiecing around Iron Man. So it was like, oh man, this is hilarious, but riveting and kind of sad. And, and Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You set the tone. And so just a great little unique start. You're like, okay, I'm in for something, uh, you know, maybe romantic, maybe a little funny, maybe different. Here we go. And the soundtrack, so there was, besides the Whitney Houston song, there were some very interesting song choices that were in this. Like there's this Venice-inspired kind of foreign pop tune by this Stella Stye, uh, and uh, that's the name of the song, and it's by Umberto Tozzi. So that was being played on the plane, so it's like this pop song in sung and sang in a different language. So interesting stuff like that. Of course, the Ramones were there because they're from Queens, and Spider-Man's from Queens, so they got to keep throwing Ramones into our face, which I'm fine with. And my favorite song, by the way, was Go-Go's uh, Vacation, because that just, just it will just burn into your psyche when you hear that one time and you just can't get it out of your head. It's just poppy and happy and summery and fun, and I just loved it. Go-Go's is during the first sort of end, the very cool, poppy, fun end credit sequence, the first one we get to see. There's, there's two credit sequences. And uh, so soundtrack, interesting, very different. Um, I don't know if I just flat out, oh my gosh, I gotta buy it, uh, like certain soundtracks like like Suicide Squad uh, or the um, or Into the Spider-Verse, but it's definitely when I would pick and choose a few tunes, uh, songs in particular. And uh, the score, so the score is always very important to me when I watch movies, it really sets the mood, it sets the tone, it, it makes you feel the movie, uh, other than just, you know, uh, looking at it and so on, it really just, it, it, placemats these superhero characters so perfectly with iconic sort of sounds and sort of repetitious little tones we we sort of didn't get that it was good not great overall if i were to give the score a, a, an overall rating mr michael giacchino who did uh, homecoming did uh, far far from home as well and i i did see hear a bit of reoccurring tones but not too much it just it didn't really stand out to me. I guess one moment that did really stand out to me in the score that absolutely gave me the chills is when Peter Parker was in Tony Stark's jet and he's printing a new Spidey suit 
and they're they're playing the Iron Man score, and it just hits home, and you're like, oh man, we're not going to hear that anymore. And so, uh, oh, and and by the way, that leads right into uh, I love ACDC or uh, Led Zeppelin, as Peter Parker calls it. <laughs> so yes, they play the Iron Man back in black song, just tributing Iron Man. And uh, it's just there's a lot of that happening, a lot of tributes to Iron Man, and this and the score was was very lovely during the heavy action sequences. You, you heard it the most there. It was just it was very just had a high crescendo, and it just it drove the emotion and just got you hyped and excited. So it was very very ramped up and heart racing at those heavy action scenes, and it just paired very nicely with the action of those moments. So soundtrack, interesting score, good humor. I, there was a lot of humor in this. I was really just chuckling quite often. And I think my favorite part of the humor was Ned dating Betty Brant. It was just a hilarious thing overall because they, they fell in love and were calling each other babe in about 12 seconds, <laughs> which is so very high school. And I just, I, I love that, how they quickly started calling each other that. And you wanted, I wanted it to last, but you kind of know, hey, it's a summer road trip romance. That's, that's just not going to make it, but... I even love uh, it just how over-the-top mature uh, the sort of little ending of it was. It was hysterical. <laughs> it was just an absolutely memorable moment because they are just so very mature in the way they handled the relationship. Just so heavy. And it's hysterical because, you know, they're 16 or whatever they're supposed to be. Oh, and by the way, little Spider-Man comic book factoid real quick. Betty Brant was never in high school with Peter Parker. She was actually J. Jonah Jameson's secretary at the Daily Bugle. That's kind of how they knew each other. They even dated each other briefly. But this is, you know, past high school for Peter Parker. So just a little little comic book Spider-Man factoid there for you. And uh, acting performances. Tom Holland is, is just really finding the sweet spot of playing the naive kid with superpowers and he's, I, I think uh, he's finding his rhythm. We're probably going to see him in seven or eight more uh, movies, Marvel MCU movies. I, I feel like he's, the torch from Iron Man is kind of being passed to Spider-Man, which I have no problem with. I can't wait to see what, how the evolution of the character is. Seven more Spider-Mans from now or whatever it is, three more Spider-Man movies and then an Avenger movie or this movie or that movie appearance in that or this, a Fantastic Four movie, just throwing it out there in the world. But anyway, I'd love to see that some evolution and for Spider-Man to actually age and, you know, be mid 20s or something down the road. Wouldn't that be cool and see a little different kind of angle of Spider-Man? But we'll see. And MJ was just her character is just so quirky and so emo and so lovable. I just love it. I love her character. And Ned, of course, played by Jacob Batalon, Batalon. Just did a solid job of being that that BFF rock that Peter Parker just needs desperately. So I love Ned. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, he did such a fantastic job. I just uh, For a minute, I was just like, maybe Mysterio is a good guy from this multiverse Earth. Hmm. I like Jake as this mentor to Peter Parker. I like that he's listening to Peter Parker and his superhero woes. And man, he's even got like a stylish quaff. I just, oh wait, hello, supervillain. <laughs> but he, he was just very believable, sold it for me. Like I said, I was even, he duped me. But uh, come on, supervillain, Mysterio. And emotional scenes, I would say the one that really hit me the hardest, that got the, the my, my eyes just welled up a bit, was uh, seeing Happy and Peter Parker talking about Iron Man, or not even talking, just some of the subtle 
sort of things that happened in the jet when they're there. Uh, and there's just, you know, the one point happy looks at Peter when Peter's printing his new Spidey suit and Peter Parker's like, what? And happy's like nothing. And it's just that, Oh, Iron Man's not there. And, and happy misses his best friend. And, and Tom is like, I mean, Tom and Peter Parker's like finally kind of standing up and he's kind of figured out a plan and he's printing his suit. He's like ready to go. And he's, he's messing with the holograms to, to special design a suit. And happy's just like, you know, man, I miss my best friend, but Hey, at least there's this kid that, you know, is kind of, uh, you know, taking the, taking the wheel a bit, but anyway, Tom Holland, excellent bit of acting in there to where he had to go from extremely frustrated with how everything is going to, hey, I've got to put a plan together and I'm a superhero. Let's do this. So that was my favorite emotional scene. I can watch that all day, every day. <laughs> and the story, of course, without giving major plots and, and play-by-plays and spoilers, the vibe of it was just very fun, very young. Yes, I'm an older person. I still enjoyed it. I didn't feel too like, oh, I'm too old to watch this movie with these whippersnapper children. Anyway, didn't feel that. <laughs> it was definitely a romantic effect, a romanticness about the film Spider-Man Far From Home. So I love that. I'm a big romantic sucker. I'm a big softy, big hearted fellow. Love the romance. I'm a romantic myself. And uh, so, yes, love the, the story and the vibe and the feel. Uh, some nods there to some phase four MCU films. You know, we did get to see some, again, one last little, I gave the spoiler at the top, but in case you forgot, spoiler alert, three, two, one scrolls, scrolls are in there. Uh, Nick Fury is in space with scrolls. So maybe this is hinting towards a Kree scroll war, maybe even something like secret invasion that happens in the comics. Oh, I would love to see something like secret invasion happen in the MCU. So maybe that's just a little kind of a direction that it's going or some of those uh, that's quickly mentioned that there could be a like a scroll, uh, you know, hidden camp. There could be these sleeper cells of scrolls of something like that going on. So that kind of hints to Secret Invasion. Read that comic if you haven't read it. It's a miniseries. I think it was like eight or eight or twelve issues of the sleeper cells of scrolls all hanging out. And then, boom, all these major characters were actually scrolls. It was great. But uh, maybe that's that's maybe that's some of the nods to future Phase Four MCU films. I hope so. Uh, Stan Lee cameo. Sadly, no. <laughs> Why? I mean, we heard about that there was just this mountain of pre-taped Stan Lee MCU cameos. So why didn't they go to the files? Why didn't they go to this giant mountain of Stan Lee cameos and whip one out? There has to be. A bunch of Spider-Man ones uh, because, you know, that that was his baby. That's he, he had just sort of extra love for Spider-Man, creating it from scratch on his own. Uh, and, you know, and then, of course, uh, you know, supported by Ditko and so on. I, I just I, why didn't they go to the bank of Stanley cameos and just throw one in here? But no, sadly, uh, my favorite scene, my favorite actions scene or maybe overall scene was the was showing Mysterio in full power was they how he created Mysterio created this nightmarish holographic illusion and how that illusion just perfectly showcases Mysterio from the comics by the way I was so nerd happy nerdgasm nerd chills all of it we just get some perfect comic book imagery which I seriously appreciate like uh, Mysterio's dome uh, turning into a snow globe yes it's in a particular issue of Amazing Spider-Man I can't remember which one but it's in there and that they 
that he traps Spider-Man inside this snow globe that is his dome helmet. Uh, we even get Iron Man ra- rising up from the grave, like uh, like a, like from Marvel Zombies. Super nice nod to the Marvel comic books. So the Marvel Zombies comics. I just got huge nerd chills right now. And then when I saw the corpse of Iron Man crawling, that was just oh fantastic. And so yeah, overall I'd say uh, my favorite moments and scenes were the three scenes of Mysterio and Spider-Man going toe-to-toe. They were just, by far, my favorite sequences. Two scenes? Maybe three. But I loved it. I I, I just want to see those scenes again and and go and watch this movie a third time to relive those those three fight scenes, two fight scenes. Uh, Easter eggs. So there were were some. There was a good amount. I wouldn't say a great amount. one thing uh, that uh, one that pops right into my head was the BFP suitcase. Yes, Benjamin Franklin Parker suitcase referencing Uncle Ben for about two seconds. And then the suitcase blows up, which uh, I believe Kevin Smith said, uh, or maybe it was Mark Bernardin from, from the uh, Batman Beyond podcast said that it's like a metaphor in that the, uh, the suitcase, the luggage, the baggage of Uncle Ben is destroyed here so that he can move on in his life. I don't know, because... Uncle Ben wasn't made a factor or, or character. We never saw it, right? We've seen it in a bunch of other things. Fine. But anyway, that was an interesting one. See BFP in the suitcase. Uh, Bonesaw McGraw poster from the Raimi Spider-Man. Spider-Man 1. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. I like that they kind of, the, the you know, sprinkled in a couple of Raimi nuggets. And I like the Spider-Man comic book references. Like, uh, that, that's it's on boats and on trucks. Like, it says ASM 212 that's on this boat in Venice. And uh, ASM 463 that's on Nick Fury's card, or on his car. And uh, there's a few of those. But the, I know ASM 212 is the first appearance of Hydrogen Man, which is pretty cool. And 463 refers to Amazing Spider-Man 4 in 1963, which is the first appearance of Sandman. In this case, the Elementals. They don't call him Hydra-Man or Sandman, but close enough. So it's kind of a cool little nod to the actual particular issues of comics that it kind of relates to at that moment of the scene. So very cool. And there's a few others, of course, but a good amount. Not like, oh my gosh, there's 70 of them. There was a good a good crop. And a bonus end scenes. Yes, we're getting towards the end of my review. So there's the first bonus end scene is a, is a doozy. Uh, just when you thought all is well in Peter Parker's world, uh, the web gets pulled right out from under him. That's all I'll say. I won't play by play it. But man, it, uh, it takes the sort of happy ending and just flip-flops it. Uh, and the end-end credit scene. So that's, it's just a double doozy. And uh, Nick Fury, the big one, of course. Uh, Nick Fury was a, was a scroll the whole time. And he's just chilling in a big spaceship with, a, with like a Mai Tai. <laughs> and th- that spaceship is in space. It's filled with scrolls. And uh, that bitch is in space! <laughs> he says that. I love it. And uh, my favorite character, besides Spider-Man, of course, obviously. It's got to be happy. It's got to be happy, Hogan. It's such a monumental character design change from Spider-Man Homecoming. I did not care for one second of happy in Spider-Man Homecoming. He just was... He didn't care about Spider-Man. He wasn't taking him serious. He just wouldn't give him the time of day. He was not even answering his calls. He was just a dick. And they completely changed his character. Maybe it was because... I don't know. He was just one-noted and kind of this D-bag in Homecoming... And in, in, in Far From Home, maybe he, he wanted to be Peter Parker's mentor because 
you know, his his Tony Stark is dead and his best friend is gone, so he's dealing with that emotionally. Or he's just trying to be nice because he's trying to date Aunt May, you know, so he just wants to get in Peter's good graces so he can uh, hang out with Aunt May. Yeah. But it, it feels genuine. I'm just saying that. It's just it's just a complete 180 from Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. Complete 180. But he's the heart of the film. He's the... He's the he's the really the kind of humorous center of the of the film as well, and he is that mentor that Peter needs finally that he absolutely wasn't in Spider-Man: Homecoming. So I like the change. That's fine. Uh, it, it doesn't matter that it was a 180 complete redesign of a character. I just loved Happy Hogan, and then from where I didn't want to see him on a scene in Homecoming to where I wanted to see him more in Far From Home. I was completely fine with him. That's why he's my second favorite character other than Spider-Man, of course. Come on. And uh, I'll just, just for a sec, mention a couple of very small, tiny problems I had with the film. One of them was Spider-Sense. I love that they jokingly called it Peter Tingle. <laughs> Inappropriate and funny that they're going with a, uh, a, a, a joke about a private part. But I, <laughs> I, I didn't enjoy that they kind of made it a confidence thing. I don't know that that is... His spider sense, his Peter Tingle would come and go based on how confident he's feeling. Uh, no, it was a chemical thing created by this strange radioactive spider that was passed on to him. So I, 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 it's strange how tentatively they're using it. I know that maybe they don't want to it be a, just something he constantly uses. Maybe they felt in the previous Spider-Man movies it was overused, but there's no sort of twing sound. There's no ding, like kind of black and white x-ray sort of flash that happens. And when it happens in the comics, you just nerdgasm. It's, oh, that's so cool. Like it'll go blue and boom, his spider sense is tingling. They're just playing it way down. I know they've got a lot of movies to go, so maybe that's what it is. So it's only a minor quibble. and uh, But maybe the bigger quibble for me is Uncle Ben. He's just... All he gets is a suitcase with his initials on it. I mean, Peter Parker's supposed to be 16 in this, so Uncle Ben died a year ago? And Aunt May's already moving on and dating someone else? Yeah, okay, sure, it's been a year, but there's no pictures of him, there's no reference of him. You, you would think that the ghost of Uncle Ben would still be there, kind of haunting their lives a bit. A, a picture on a table, you know, something, a two-second flashback, whatever, to just kind of... It's fundamentally who Spider-Man is. That guilt is constantly with him. That, that His passing of his Uncle Ben, who is more his father than his own father was, was something that made him who he is, and we don't get that at all. So maybe we should. I know now it's kind of late in the game. It's like we passed that moment. It's I don't think they'll do it in a, the next one or whenever we see him again. I, I don't think so, but... We don't get a little picture on the table. We don't get a reference, a, a anything, just kind of a, a quiet moment between May and Peter, that, that a remember, remembrance, anything, zip. So I have to do a little little issue with that. And, and kind of his reluctancy in a way. I know that he wants to live his life. I know that Iron Man just passed and the, the whole endgame sort of emotional thing that's happening. But he kind of wants to be young and be a teenager. And it's just this sort of reluctancy that because he doesn't have that one great power with great power comes great responsibility like kind of always on his heels or that baggage that he's always carrying so he's just kind of a you know a little freer spirit and just wants to be a teenager and and doesn't feel that he does feel that pull but there's just that bit of reluctancy and i think again it's a small quibble because they're developing a character that i we're probably going to see in nine more films so tiny squibbles tiny little whatever it is issues i have but they're my own but anyway overall score 4.5 out of 
Or if, 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 out of five, yes, out of five sunspots, four and a half to four and three quarters. A B plus, an A minus, right there. Uh, maybe seeing it a third time, I'll, I'll sway a little one way or the other. Like an 89 or 90%, right there on the cusp, A minus, B plus. I saw it twice, IMAXed, absolutely see it a third time. I'm even inspired to buy some Spider-Man Far From Home stuff, mementos, paraphernalia. I would love that. But overall, it's an absolute buy for me when it comes out. And like I said, I'll more than likely see it a third time. Probably on a on a Stubbs Tuesday $5 AMC kind of special deal. I could see that happening. But man, it was so glorious in IMAX. And the, the sound of it was just, you felt it. I loved it. But it's an absolute buy. It's getting great reviews, folks. Uh, so I'm not in the uh, minority here. I'm with the majority. Go and see Spider-Man Far From Home. It's so much fun. It's romantic. It has a young feel and vibe. Uh, it's it's a definite rewatch. Stay until they're sweeping, folks. I, I was still surprised to see in an IMAX theater where it's you know seventy eight dollars for a ticket. <laughs> People are leaving as soon as the end is happening. They're leaving during the fun Go Go's vacation, fun end credit sequence. People are leaving. I'm like, have, have they never? I still can't believe it. Have they never been to a Marvel movie? Or they're like, eh, when it comes out on Blu-ray, I'll watch the end credit scene. I don't know. I, I want to ask them. Those people leaving before the, the lights turn on so stay all the way but anyway ringing endorsement spider-man as i've said a million times was my very first one of the very first comic books i ever read he's one that i truly hold a special place for in my heart so i hold it there in a i'm more critical i hold it in higher regard because spider-man is uh, my favorite superhero comic book character of all time so but go see it spider-man far from home uh two big 30 nerdy thumbs way up Yes, I'm, I don't know why I'm holding them up right now, but I am. And the last thing floating around inside of my nerdy brain is that I'm creating my very own comic book. It's called Zombie Destroyers. And I created Zombie Destroyers. I'm actually doing the writing and the lettering. Please follow Zombie Destroyers artist Jordan Hudson. Check him out on Instagram. It's at Skablad, S-K-A-B-L-A-D-D. Thank you so much, Jordan. Your art is fantastic. And a quick Zombie Destroyers update to let you know where we're at. Issue number one of Zombie Destroyers, the pencils, the inks, and the bonus page are done. Can't believe it. So I'm actually working on the lettering, and then it is off to coloring. I can't wait. It's been a wonderful dream just working on my very own comic book, creating it from scratch, my way, by myself. It's been amazing. I'm just absolutely grateful that I get to do it my way and with some great, amazing art from Jordan Hudson. And I just can't wait to show you and the world and everybody my comic book, Zombie Destroyers. But if you want to see what it looks like now, just to get a little glimpse of Zombie Destroyers, just head over to sunspotscomics.com and click on Zombie Destroyers. You'll see three glorious sampled colored pages. They're there for your viewing pleasure now. So go over and check out sunspotscomics.com and click on Zombie Destroyers. And next is a quick mention of our interview segment called Spotlighting. Spotlighting is where I share my conversations with comic book creators. Please check out this Spotlighting interview that's on our Sunspots Comics podcast feed right now. I'm super proud of it. It's a conversation with comic book creator, writer, artist, Daniel Warren Johnson. He created and wrote and did the art for two of my favorite comic books, Extremity and Murder Falcon from Image Comics. Both, by the way, have been top Sunspots Comics picks of the week more than once. So you got to go look at those comics. But we talk about Daniel Warren Johnson's process of making comics, of how he got into the comic book biz, and so much more. We actually nerded out for almost two hours 
It's a fantastic, fun interview. He's definitely one of my favorite comic book creators of all time. I even played two of his metal shredding guitar tracks on the intro and outro. So you got to give it a listen. Check it out. It's Daniel Warren Johnson on the Sunspots Comics Spotlighting feed. Go check it out. And if you work in the comic book business or you're trying to break into the comic book business, like me, let's have a fun chat about your comic book right here on a future Sunspots Comics podcast. I do have to genuinely enjoy your comic book to help promote it, of course. But please send me a a copy of your comic book to my email, chris at sunspotscomics.com. Or message me directly at sunspotscomics. I will definitely read it. And uh, send it out to me so I can set that up and we can have a nice little conversation about your comic book right here on the Sunspots Comics Podcast. So now, on to the Soul Stone, the Kyber Crystal. The all-spark, the super-powered main event of the Sunspots Comics Podcast, which is my comic book recommendations. Here we go. I'm about to share with you my favorite picks of the brand new comic books that just came out on New Comic Book Day's Wednesday, July 3rd, and Wednesday, July 10th. That's right, two new comic book days in this very podcast. And just in case, here is a very super-duper light, semi-spoiler-ish alert. But seriously, don't worry. I really just want to inspire you to go buy these comic books and enjoy them, so I really do not spoil them. I never discussed the last few pages, and I only discussed some of the interesting points in each comic book. But just in case, you've been super-duper light, Semi-spoiler-ish alert. And before I get into the top comics, let me announce this week's artist winner and cover artist winner of the week. Every week, I pick what I believe that is the best comic book art and best cover art. And it's it's really, sometimes it's just absolutely hard to pick. There's so much great comic book art out there. But the ones that I pick here that I'm about to tell you about, you gotta get. At least just put your nerdy eyeballs on them and look at them. You'll be so happy that you did. And this week I had 24 comic books <laughs> so and for two new comic book days, so it was just really hard to pick one winner in each category. But I, I went with the ones that made me feel the best when looking at them. So my pick for cover artist winner of the week is Mr. Stephen, or Stephen, Green for his cover of Sea of Stars, issue number one from Image Comics. This thing is amazing. You've got to look at it. This, this Stephen Green... Uh, by the way, he is the first. This is the first time he's ever won cover artist winner. I got a feeling it's not going to be the last. Give him a follow, by the way, at Stephen S T E P H E N double underscore Green. His art is amazing. You'll love giving him a follow. He doesn't like go too crazy too, where it just floods your feed. He just sprinkles in these amazing pieces of comic book art every now and then. Check him out. And so. Man, looking at this thing, it's just gorgeous. I love the coloring, number one, uh, Sea of Stars, issue number one from Image. It's just purple, dark purple and blue space in the background with twinkling stars here and there. And this giant kind of kaiju space shark that is like a dragon, like a Chinese dragon mixed with a shark, mixed with a giant squid. It's just insane looking. It has these weird red... And kind of yellowish, like, must be sort of the like a, the bait of part of the front end of deep sea creatures. It's kind of these tentacles that are dangling from its front. It's wicked looking. And it has like these <clears throat> almost arms that extend out from its gill area uh, with these like lit white ends. So it's definitely, 
the, the attention to detail here to make this look like a creature or monster in space, to make it look like something you've never seen, is really just it's just an absolute wonder. It's it's just so well done. And then there to to top it off, the fonting of Sea of Stars is is sort of see-through and it's it's white lines over the image. And in some cases sometimes I say, don't cover images with words. But in this case it just fits nicely because it's transparent. You can see through the words. And then there is this young boy with these lovely eyes. He's just looking at you like, hey, you know, I'll follow you. I'm your buddy. Kind of look as he's wearing like a spacesuit, carrying this weird kind of uh, space axe that looks like it's made of rock with like these kind of lightish blue crystals on it. Just very interesting looking axe in his hand. And his spacesuit is a little bit Jetsons. It's got that, that little top antenna with the ball at the end and a little sort of Saturn ring around the antenna. It just has that little smidge of Jetsons. I love it. A little bit of Star Wars there as well as the color, the way it looks, but it's the, it's the eyes of this young boy that just kind of make you go, oh, like how cute, I need to read this. Another thing to bring you in with this awesome space monster that's kind of in this Z shape, by the way, behind. So the symmetry there is fantastic. So look at it. It's a beautiful cover. It's Sea of Stars with our cover artist winner, Mr. Stephen Green. Stephen Green. Sorry if I'm screwing your name up. Stephen, Stephen. Uh, and, and you got to look at it. It's gorgeous. Sea of Stars, issue number one, is our cover artist winner of the week. And the artist winner of the week... Also goes to Mr. Stephen Green for his stunning interior art of Sea of Stars, issue number one from Image Comics. Yes, he won both categories. Again, follow him at Stephen double underscore green. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N double underscore green. And man, uh, the opening sequence here of this pink and blue and purple star set background with this ship that looks like a spaceship that looks like a boat because it, it has like a sail on it. So Jason um, Aaron, the writer here, is definitely going with this, the space is an ocean kind of thing with the space sharks and the ships looking like boats and with the sails on these spaceships. It, and man, there's just this sequence where the ship is zipping through space and all these planets are all around it. And it's like a, kind of this water coloring effect with the purple and the dark blue space just starlit all behind them. It's just... It's what you want in a sci-fi story. It's such a great, perfect setting. You're like, I'm in. I love even the little attention to the young boy, the son, and his hair. How his hair is kind of just a cartoon. But the rest of all of it has just just this very realistic, kind of gritty look. And it does a great job with all of the emotions on the faces. Especially with the young boy. I think his name's like Caden. Because the young boy has to play everything from bored to excited to scared to worried to trying to convince his dad to let him do something. There's all these emotions that the young boy's face goes through and uh, Stephen Green just crushes them all. They're subtle. They're not over the top. They're, I mean, when he's looking at this skull in this gallery of uh, in, in their sort of their, their bay, their launch bay area, their holding cell He's looking at all these these artifacts, and he has this skull in his hand, and he's got this smirk. Caden has this smirk on his face, and it's just lovely. It captures a, a an eight-year-old kid, seven-year-old kid so perfectly. It's just a smirk with wonder and interest, and I got this kind of attitude-y smirk. It's, it's so subtle and so perfect at the same time. But all the space moments really just, just will capture your imagination. It doesn't look like a lot of the other space comics out there. 
uh, definitely look at this beautiful piece of art. Um, if anything, just for the, 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 these epic space scenes with stars and planets. It's just gorgeous. Easily, artist winner of the week. That is Stephen Gring from Sea of Stars, issue number one from Image Comics. Thank you so much. Got to look at those two, folks. They're beautiful. Look at Sea of Stars cover and the interior art. Sea of Stars. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Stunning. And the breakdown. I actually read a pull list of 24 comics in these two weeks. That's New Comic Book Day, July 3rd and July 10th. And of the 24 comics, only seven of them made it to the Great Ones recommendation list. That's right. It's got to be great to make the Sunspots Comics podcast top pick list so I can tell you about them. It's got to be great. And new number ones. I'll break it down for you. I only had 10 new number ones of the 24 comics I read in the last two weeks. And only three of them made it to the top comic book pick list. That's right. It's got to be a top-notch great comic like four and a half and above or i don't do i don't recommend them to you new, new number one's got to have that extra little punch to the rib cage for me to go ahead and recommend them to you but definitely get the new number ones i'm about to mention the three new number ones i'm about to mention so you can just be there from the very beginning and not miss anything there's something really special about that right when you're reading a comic so here we go my new comic book recommendations this is my list of what i consider to be the best of the new comic books that just came out the last two new comic book days july 3rd july 10th i strongly strongly recommend you buy these at your local comic book shop today and please support your local comic book shop they really need the help out there folks go to a local comic book shop and buy these seven comics i actually support comic madness they're in ontario california shout out hello to owner lee and manager jeremy jeremy's actually a buddy of mine he's currently working on a variant cover for my comic book zombie destroyers for issue number one thank you so much jeremy i can't wait to see it finished you got some great designing there and all the zombies on your issue number one cover variant. But please follow Jeremy, the uh, manager of Comic Madness. His uh, Instagram is at SkeletonKing82. Check him out. But more importantly, follow, help, and go and buy stuff at your local comic book shops today. Help support them. They need it. So here we go. There are seven great new comic books that I'm about to recommend to you. So here we go. Coming in. At number seven is a new number one, by the way, Unearth, issue number one. This is from Image Comics. It's written by Cullen Bunn, one of my favorite horror comic book writers, and comic book writers for that matter, of all time, partnered with writer Kyle Stram, who I really dig as a writer. So man, two top-notch writers here, and some weird and interesting art from Balderrama Rivas. Balderrama Rivas. So I'll uh, talk a little bit about that, but... This is a horror sci-fi comic. It kind of has this Marcos Martin style. He did uh, Private Eye and does pretty much anything that Brian K. Vaughn writes. I love Marcos Martin. It has a bit of that. It's super clean. This is, again, the artist Balderam Rivas. has a very super clean, very minimalist kind of art style. I like that. It's clean. It's subtle. But the way he draws these frightening deformities is just horrendous to look at. Uh, there's this gelatinous fluid that's on the ground whenever you see these deformities that's happening from this virus that's broken out. And it's it's just, uh, it, it's gross. The characters have a little bit of an abstractness to them as I'm looking at them right now. That's kind of a Marcos Martin thing. Some of the camera angles too, I love when they're, uh, they're talking to this kid and the camera angles are kind of from his perspective looking up at adults. And that, it, 
there is a little bit of humor in that art because it is kind of weird to look at someone from that angle. <laughs> you, you definitely see people in a different kind of light, you know, dark shadowing around the eyes and the neck area kind of, you know, being what it is. Weird, but <laughs> I love it. And man, this is uh, some of the, the violence here is very grotesque, very over the top. There's one particular panel in particular where this kid is leading them to this doctor in this camp where a lot of people are infected and he introduced them to this absolute just grotesque deformity this frightening image and it's like yeah this is the doctor you're looking for this is our doctor and you're like oh my gosh he's basically metamorphosed into a, like a cocoon you know he's in the chrysalis stage it's it's grotesque it's over the top and i love the, the way that they drew this the way that uh, Balderam drew this very interesting alien centipede like peacock thing it's just very symmetrical. It's got these sort of ninja star five points to it. And it's yellow when you're in this and they're in this deep, dark cave because that's what they're trying to do. It's basically this team of like CDC people, scientists that are trying to stop this virus and find out about this virus. And as they go down deep into the dark recesses of the earth, there's like a species that they've never never seen. And uh, that that could be what the virus is all about or aliens. Oh, there's one particular panel that really stands out to me. There's like this, this kind of military sergeant that's kind of, he's the head of ops in, in the military regard of it, not the scientific aspect. And he's got like this kind of oblong shaped head where it's like bigger in the back. And he's kind of this, uh, this kind of redneck sergeant kind of guy with a big, like a beer gut. He's wearing sweats, which I think is just hilarious. But whenever, there's a couple of scenes where they show the oblongness of his head leave the panel. Like, it really just stands out that his head is shaped funny. Look at it. And I love that about Unearth. So check it out. If you love grotesque sci-fi horror, that those those things mixed together, written by Cullen Bunn and, and Kyle Stram, get Unearth number one. Great issue. Leaves you at a cliffhanger at the end. Like, what? They're going to do what? And the creature, kaiju kind of creature they introduce is definitely interesting and unique and crustaceous looking and odd. But yeah, dark stuff, heavy horror sci-fi, Unearth number one. Check it out. And coming in at number six is from Action Lab Danger Zone Comics. It's Voracious Appetite for Destruction, issue number three. This is written by Marcus Nasso, and this is art, lettering, and design by Jason Muir. And I had the just absolute pleasure, a humbling moment of me on the podcast. I got to interview both of these guys, both Marcuson and uh, Nasso and Jason Muir on the podcast. It's on our feed. Go check it out. The creators of Voracious Appetite, Voracious Appetite for Destruction. And issue two, by the way, was a top Sunspots Comics pick of the week on the last podcast I just did, podcast number 210. So it's back again. And I think the core element of this, uh, by the way, it's uh, to give you a very quick gist, it's a little bit of Back to the Future. It's time travel involving dinosaurs. It's a guy that stumbles upon a, it goes, thinks he goes back in time to find dinosaurs, decides to eat them, and incorporates, a, incorporates the dinosaur meat into his restaurant that becomes this huge hit. But also at the same time, it's just kind of destroyed his life and it's changed things for him. And it's been kind of this intervention uh, because he's very much a character, uh, lack of of sort of uh, his own, uh, you know, like his own realization. He's just he's just in his own world and kind of doesn't care about a lot of people. And there's kind of this awakening here. And that's the core part of what I think really made this a top pick for me. Because Nate, the main character, and his BFF uh, Starly, 
they have like a very realistic kind of best friend fight in this. And it's just, it's, it's one we've, that everyone's probably had at one point or another, or you live in this awkwardness of not saying something, but real good friends, I think really kind of have to unfortunately have a, a fight every so often. It doesn't mean have to be big one per se, but have to disagree and really kind of see the real truth about each other. That's what happens here in this realistic fight between best friends, Nate and Starly and Starly kind of has a thing for Nate, but realizes that he's such a self-centered, you know, just narcissistic person that she just lays into him and gives him like this intervention. And that really is just kind of this wake up call for Nate. And the dialogue is done so well. It's so very balanced. Whereas moments like this in a comic can just look like talking heads, honestly, and be just too much dialogue. And as a, as a hardcore comic book reader, you're like, man, I got 30 more to go. And there's all this dialogue. But it's so well balanced and so realistically done that I really enjoyed it. And my second part, favorite part of Voracious Appetite for Destruction, issue number three, was this badass grandma. It's Nate grandma, Nate's grandma just fighting a dinosaur with a knife. And it's great, and it's brutal, and it's gross, and it takes a, a few pages. They really kind of let uh, this 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 fight uh, go on. And you're like, man, this grandma's hanging in there. But, it, I mean, come on. A grandma fighting a dinosaur, folks. You got to see it. It's great stuff. It's fun. It's back to the future. It's science. And it's all of that. And it's it's very real-world feeling, uh, best friend argument situation. I'm telling you that... Uh, you won't think you'll enjoy it, and as you read it, you'll be like, man, that was like really well done and really played out well and paced properly. It's just uh, hats off to Marcus and Nasso and his writing and the pace of his writing in that scene, and, and I'm sure Jason as well, and the partnering. They've got this great synergy thing going. It's wonderful. Again, check out me interviewing Marcus and Nasso and Jason Muir in uh, the podcast feed. It's, it's wonderful. But voracious appetite for destruction. Great stuff. Our number six pick of the week. And coming in at number five is Bitter Root. It's the Red Summer Special one shot. And this is great. This is uh, from Image Comics. And this is the primary writers are David F. Walker and Chuck Brown. And then they hire like a bunch of artists to do just kind of all together. There's one, two, three, four, five, six sort of different chapters, six little different mini stories in this uh, summer blockbuster. And if you're already reading Bitter Root, don't skip this. Don't think, eh, it's just this one-shot thing. Probably has nothing to do with anything. Do not skip this. And if you're thinking of reading uh, Bitter Root, get this. You could jump in right here. It's going to inspire you to read all of the Bitter Root issues. Trust me. It deepens the story. It adds more emotional depth to this fantastical tale of kind of this uh, this just the one black family and how their their mission is to fight these Jinnu, uh, you know, creatures, monsters on Earth. That's the, the course part of the story and kind of the what's happened to their family over time. Well, there's there's a, a kind of a, a time a jump back here and there's there's showing the sort of deeper connection to fighting Jinnu for this one particular uh, family, which their family name is uh, escaping me, but it'll come to me soon. But there are five little individual stories that are only like five pages each, maybe at most, because there's six of them, six stories. And like I said, uh, such emotional depth is added. Probably my my favorite is the one right in the middle, and it's uh, it's the Tulsa, Oklahoma, May 31st, 1921 story. And it's such a heavy story. There's this kind of old plane that's dropping sticks of dynamite onto this town, and it... it 
it's just like this old airplane flying through. It doesn't, you know, say there, there are some, definitely some racial things here. Can't quite tell if it's just like this redneck white guy flying the plane or it's somebody else. I don't know. Or they don't say why this person's dropping dynamite sticks from the plane. So I don't know if there's racial heatedness there. Well, you kind of get the gist towards the end of this little sequence, but funny that the guy that's running from the sticks of dynamite being thrown from a plane looks exactly like Malcolm X. Totally looks like Malcolm X. And he has two kids running with him and they're just desperate to stay alive. They're running. And when the bombs are dropping, there's this woman that tries to help out. She's reaching for the children. It's almost wordless. They're just mostly like, help me with my children. Where are my kids? Kind of thing. It's just devastation ensuing. And she's reaching out. She, she's not his wife, but she's trying to help. And then there's she transforms into this Genu like crow monster. And the transformation is amazing. It's just so beautifully drawn. You gotta look at this. Uh, we gotta read them all. But it, my favorite one is right in the middle-ish end. And it's just Tulsa, Oklahoma, May 31st, 1921. You gotta read that. And the Malcolm X guy. And uh, this transformation of this this innocent woman. The, the, this, and maybe that's why this guy's dropping bombs. Because this crow woman is running loose in this town. And so he's dropping bombs to kind of hopefully just get rid of her. But he's just killing all kinds of innocent people at the same time. But this Jinu crow monster. Is it good? Is it bad? You don't know. But uh, what, what the crow does at the end in this transformation. It's just heartbreaking. And uh, yeah, it, it, this one will stay with me. It's only a short story. Five pages or so. Four pages. But it's wonderfully, wonderfully done. Anyway, uh, the whole bunch of different stories, all, like I said, deepening the, the history and the, the fun, fantastical element that is Bitterroot. So get it. Bitterroot Red Summer Special. Wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm so glad I read it. It was just... And all the back matter um, with... Uh, Essays from you know black professors and and people of just uh, of just high regard and intelligence and and well-educated people that are having these that that relate to the story of Bitterroot itself and kind of explaining uh, the world of fiction or the world of science like they're just experts in these fields and it's just wonderful I I get sucked into those where a lot of times I don't have time to read them I do in Bitterroot so check out the back matter in every Bitterroot comic it's interesting and 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 different and will have you thinking outside the box it's great stuff so coming in at number four is no one left to fight issue number one maybe my favorite title name in a while no one left to fight it's from dark horse comics it's issue number one another one of those new number ones and right in the front it says the comic you've always wanted like it it knows that, but I, I like bold statements from comic books, and they used to have a lot more ads like that, like little one-lining tags on the front of comics, and this is paying homage to that. So, well done. No one left to fight, number one. This is from writer Aubrey Sitterson, and artist and cover by Fico Osio. Uh, neat, interesting name. Fico? Fico? Not sure. And this, man, this is a, definitely a very interesting story that's been influenced heavily from Dragon Ball Z, from video games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, and is very much inspired and loves pink. Yes, the color pink and bright pastels. This literally is the brightest comic I've ever looked at in the history of my life. It, it literally will give you a little bit of eye strain. It really will. Like, turn your lights down just a smidge <laughs> when you're reading No One Left to Fight, if you're reading it in paper. Or if you're reading it digitally, lower your screen brightness. Trust me. This thing is blinding, but so interesting to look at. At some points, it's so blinding that I think it's done on purpose to kind of move, blur the speed by just brightness. And it works as kind of an element. I like that. I, I loved it, honestly. 
There's even a splash of like Scott Pilgrim in this. So there you go. If you like those things, video games, Dragon Ball Z, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Scott Pilgrim, you're going to love, love, love. No one left to fight. And uh, so quick, quick, I guess, gist. They, uh, there's this guy that comes back from like a war. He defeats this major villain. And the only place he kind of wants to go is to his ex-girlfriend's house. And she now has like a husband or a baby daddy and two children. But he wants to kind of relive the past with the help of his ex-girlfriend. This family is adorable, by the way. The girl is adorable. The kids are adorable. The husband is just this super jealous guy. That is ultimately the old fighting nemesis of this character that shows up at their door, like wanting to go, you know, rummage around through through the past and and go walking down, you know, the the old memories, you know, and and, and it's just wreaking havoc in this family. In this, uh, the the kids are loving this guy. The husband's super jealous. He's like, why are my kids loving him? And <laughs> because he's cool, he, the, the style of everything looks very interesting, very fantasy. Very kind of Dragon Ball Z inspired. And it's just the, the, the ex-husband finally is just fed up with how much... Or the, the current husband's fed up with the ex and him just, you know, invading upon his lovely family. He, he wants to fight him. He's like, let's go spar. And then you get to see kind of the power element of this world and what it's really all about. And how they have sort of Street Fighter Mortal Kombat kind of powers. And, you know, it's it's... It's all kinds of great blur scenes and fight sequences with a lot of over-the-top panels and just hyper, super in- intense brightness like you've never seen before. You got to put your eyes on this. It was almost Art Pick winner of the, of the week because it's just so differently colored and the lines are so unique and the way the action comes out of the panels and the blurring f- speed effect. It's just so much fun and it's interesting as well. I got to see where this goes. And also, it's neat to see a future that looks so bright and happy where, you know, so many futures look bleak and dark. I'm not sure if this is even Earth, but it just has this futuristic, cool, fresh feel to it. I love that. And will these these two fighting nemesis, nemesi, be, be enemies? Are they going to be friends? Is this, is there, what, what is their, what are they going to be fighting? Or is it just going to be each other? Like, where is this going? I got to see. Anyway, no one left to fight. Issue number one is our number four pick of the week. Go get it. So here we go now. On to the top three comic books of the week. My top three recommendations. Here we go. Coming in at number three is Sea of Stars. Issue number one. This is from Image Comics. This is written by Jason Aaron and Dennis Hallam. Mr. Dennis Hopeless Hallam. So another writing partnership that's happening here. And our cover artist winner and artist winner of the week, Stephen Green. Stephen Green. Colors, Rico Renzi. Gorgeous purples, blues, space, stars, planets, coloring from Rico Renzi. Great attention to detail with the coloring because there's a lot of attention to detail in this and Stephen Green's art style. So space is an ocean, as I said before, because that's what Jason Aaron loves. There's, like I said, there's ships that look like boats. There's whales. There's sea sharks that fly through the, through the space. It's just, but it's really centered around this father-son story. I'm a sucker for those. That's what it, the core part of it is. There's this adorable kid named Caden. He wants, uh, he's traveling with his dad through space. His dad's kind of a space delivery guy, like SpaceX, FedEx, whatever. <laughs> and he's just bored out of his skull in the early part of this. And like I said, you get to see every emotion on this kid's face. I'm looking at three pages that go from bored to sad to happy to to smirky to 
bored again to to sad. It's just it's a workshop in the emotional faces on in comic book art. It's gorgeous. It also has this twenty thousand leagues under the sea feel and look for me. It's it's a book that's always stuck with me. Even the old movie, not the old old movie, but the Disney one in the fifties, if I nineteen fifty four, I think it was, with uh, Kirk Douglas. Check that out. It's a classic. And uh, high tomato meter reading, by the way, if you're thinking of watching an old timey movie, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Ski, Under the Sea from Disney. But it feels like that again. It's this. It's the how the Nemo's ship in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea looks like the family ship, the guy's ship that's flying with his son here, and how it also has kind of this boat-looking element to it. Anyway, this rare space animal, this shark, shows up, wreaks havoc, and as the ship is destroyed. Their oxygen is depleted, and the the Caden is imbued with a special power. That's all I want to say. And his father, if being separated in space, whereas his more than likely his son didn't make it, against all odd his uh, odds, his father holds on to hope. His father's love for his son drives him to even finding the corpse of his son, young son if he has to. But he's going to search for him. He does not want that to go unanswered maybe some strange way he was trapped in something that he had some oxygen so that that's the core of this story separated father and son separated in sea space so and man what a heavy duty cliffhanger at the end of this like you it's gonna make you desperately want to read sea of stars issue number two so well done bit of writing there from one of the best comic book writers of all time mr jason aaron he knows how to do space he knows how to do thor he knows how to make the ocean and the sea one. So, Sea of Stars, cover artist, artist winner of the week. Beautiful stuff. Get Sea of Stars immediately. And coming in at number two is Space Bandits, issue number one. Oh, man, I love this. And it's from Image Comics. It's written by Mark Millar. It's gorgeous art. Definitely artist contend- contender winner of the week here from Matteo Scalera. Just top-notch, beautiful team right here, Mark Millar. This is the Netflix comic books that are that are that Mark Millar is producing because Netflix has bought all of the Mark Millar comic universe that he's creating, and they're going to make either a movie or TV show series out of all of these comics. So this is another one of them. Netflix is like on the back page here, just boom. There's the logo, Netflix. So it's Image and Netflix partnering together to make other forms of to make movies and TV shows on Netflix of all these Mark Millar stories. So I can't wait to see how this will actually look because it's something special here. Space Bandits issue number one. Uh, it's all full of double cross. It's all full of eighties. It's tons of humor in this. I, I, it may be the funniest Mark Millar comic, Mark Miller comic that he's written. He does smidges of humor here and there, but this is absolutely drop down hilarious. It's not meant to be an absolute comedy, but there's just a lot of little elements that are subtle that smack you right in the face. Like there's this huge spaceship named the Lionel Richie. Yeah, (laughs) that's why I'm easy. And it's this giant Lionel Richie head with a toothpick in its mouth at the front of this giant spaceship. It's just hilarious. I could not look away from this spaceship for a couple of minutes. It's just funny to look at. A spaceship with the head of Lionel Richie. Yeah, that's never been done. And I love the opening sequence. It's like this heist robbery thing that goes on. A quick gist. There's this Cody Blue character. She's a thief, but she has a, a like a no-kill code. So she's very likable. And she has some problems, some issues with her bloodthirsty crew of space bandits. Yes, hence the name Space Bandits. And this other character, Thena, 
She is a wanted space bandit herself for doing all kinds of crazy scams. And she keeps running this scam with her boyfriend uh, that like over and over again. They just keep running the same scam, which is so interesting in itself what they're doing. And then it just all goes sideways. And so the unlikely pair of Cody Blue and Thena uh, will eventually find each other. And I'm sure revenge will ensue because that's what it's about here. They've been they were double crossed. Uh, but there are some surprises in this book. There are some kind of brutal moments of violence in this. The look of it is amazing. It's just like, again, with, with Sea of Stars and this. It's just this very 80s-infused space. It's like uh, it's like Stranger Things in space. All 80s of all the ships and all the way that everyone dresses and looks. It's, uh, it's another time, another place. But, man, the 80s in space works really well. I, I don't know why. It's because of the oddness of the clothing and the hairstyles and whatnot, but man, it's great. And there's this whole kind of Guardians in the Galaxy uh, moment in a space prison. That's just so great. It's just so much fun and bananas. And uh, the, I, I love that they're, they are this unlikely pair, that Cody and Thena are t- t- cut from two completely different cloths. So it's an unlikely pair that find each other for revenge. I love that. And oh, and then they hit this giant spaceport that's called the Crustacea, and you can—it's just this giant lobster in space. It's just—it's just crazy. Again, like the ocean and the the space coming together here in Space Bandits. But it's so much fun. It's so fast. It's cool. So like quick paced. The action is just excellent. The fighting scenes are so much fun. Mateo Sclera, 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 Sclera. There you go. <laughs> His art is phenomenal. He does action like no one else. But get Space Bandits. So much fun. Mark Millar, fantastic writer. You won't you won't be disappointed. Trust me. Space Bandits. Get it. Issue number one. But here we go now. The number one. Here we go on to the top. Comic book pick of the week. The Jedi Master, the King, the Supreme Leader. The number one top comic book pick of the week is The Walking Dead. Issue number 193. The Farmhouse. The series finale. This is the end of the end. I can't believe it. I have read every single issue of The Walking Dead. I've been there from number one. I bought issues of the number one issue of The Walking Dead thinking, that's weird, a zombie story? Like now, zombies are kind of done. I don't know, I guess I'll check it out. It's black and white? Eh, I don't normally go for black and whites. But man, this artist is great. Uh, I want to say is uh, more, not Terry Moore, but it's, it's, it's anyway, great artist. And they changed the Charlie Adler, great artist as well. I've been there from the beginning to the middle. There's so many memorable, single memorable moments in this entire series run. Uh, you know, heavy spoilers. If you haven't read any of the walking dead, um, just listing moments of, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, certain deaths of characters, uh, Negan popping up, um, Rick's evolution from, from day one, how the character looks to the end of Rick, just a complete character evolution, the beginning of his life, the middle of his life, the end of his life. It is a journey into one character's life and how different Kirkman said that, and he's done it in the back matter and he said it in interviews. He just wants to create a character that when you pick up issue number one, you won't even recognize the character at the very end. If you were to just skip through it going, who is that character? He's gone through that kind of evolution, metamorphosis, uh, journey. 
and Walking Dead absolutely went out like a champ because no one really knew the end was here. They just they solicited more comics. They uh, they they uh, pulled the rug out from under us. They they wanted us to be surprised. They wanted if you read uh, Robert Kirkman is the creator of Walking Dead. Charlie Adler, by the way, current uh, artist for many years. There was a, a different artist at the beginning for a little while, but. Robert Kirkman writes that he hates and doesn't like in any form of media when we know when the end is near. Like when you're watching Game of Thrones and you tap the screen and it says, oh, you're in uh, minute 36 of 49. So we got, you know, 13 minutes, whatever the minutes left to go. It's that knowing when the end is coming is uh, it, it, it doesn't give you the big hit of when it ends because you know when the end is coming like even when something on netflix you're like okay i can compartmentalize my time here it is 10 issues each episode of this show is you know 41 minutes long so i know exactly what to expect oh we're starting issue number five we're right in the middle it's kind of like you always know the clock well how, going out like this saying yeah there's more comics coming nope it's the end you're like what <laughs> i mean when you read the page count of this you kind of go what they haven't there hasn't been too many moments that they've done this kind of crazy page count like issue number 100 was more i believe so uh, you could have kind of read the uh, the writing on the wall but not really because that's robert kirkman's style he has shocked us he's killed characters that you cared about He's he's done things to characters where you go, there's just shocking moments like uh, Carl's injury to his eye. Um, characters you love and you're really enjoying and and, and you you just, you oh, you, every month you're like, I dig this character, boom, gone. He does that constantly. And in this particular issue of 193, now that I, Memory Lane, I've passed down the block of Memory Lane, um... There is this pace in here. There is still this kind of surprise here. There's this tension that's building up. Like, you're wondering, is this going to be a happy ending? Is it not going to be a happy ending? And I kind of think it would have been even cooler if they, you know, didn't say this was the last issue. Just And, and then it ends. Like, is this the end? People lose their minds. Could you imagine that? Yes, they had to hint a bit and for solicitation purposes, etc. But... The, he, Kirkman keeps guessing here. He's got a lot of tension building up. It's this, it's centered around all grown up Carl. Yeah, Carl's a grown man. And he defends his, his land, his wife, his child from a walker. And apparently, in their world now, and this far in the future, they haven't seen a walker in years. So peace has happened ish, maybe? But what he's basically done in this story is taken this horrendic horrendous zombie outbreak and all these deaths and kind of said that the message is that the human spirit will triumph the human spirit will find a way they will make better they will learn from their mistakes that's kind of the message here of uh, the end of walking dead and, and where it was going honestly it was leading this it doesn't feel so like <gasps> like as a reader of the walking dead you're kind of thinking like man he's writing himself into some into another corner into being another town and another mayor and another 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 i uh, know kirkman's like guess what it's over it's done there's no more bye-bye out mic drop that's what you get from the series finale of the walking dead so uh yeah there it is bittersweet as whitney is saying in the song currently playing <laughs> Memories, so many moments. 
not sure if it's a. I mean, it, it, thankfully, it's it's not two two hundred ninety five issues, one hundred ninety three issues. It's probably going to be something I'm going to reread. I got to put it away for a little while and and digest all of it and reread this issue again, to kind of experience it. It's lovely. It's a it's a it's a wonderful ending. Not saying it was a happy ending or a horribly bad ending, but it was a great ending in my opinion. It's hard to end things. It's hard. It's hard to appeal everyone, but this appealed to me. I enjoyed what they did here. I liked the last few pages. It, uh, it, I'm not sure if it's because of the content of the story of the last few pages or knowing this is it that got me a little emotional, got me feeling something, got me kind of like, wow, this is an end of a 16-ish years uh, of a, a series that I've, I've read every single issue and, and enjoyed. There's been a lot of top pick of the – it's been pick of the week a few times. A couple of artist winner weeks here and there. It's, you know, it's just been a solid thing to rely on. Always on time, you know. Uh, so, yeah, Walking Dead. I'll miss you. It's a great series. So, uh, thank you, Robert Kirkman. On to other things. He's got a lot of other things going. He's got Oblivion Song right now going on. That's pretty good. Um, anyway, Walking Dead, it's over. Series finale, it's done. What's going to happen to the TV shows? How will it affect the TV shows? Who knows? I've been watching the shows from the beginning, too. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's worth a read. If you like monster tales, zombie things that surprise you, uh, and story that'll, stories that um, that'll your jaw will drop, uh, areas of uh, that comics have gone into that that has never been done, um, it's definitely, looking back upon it, it's a, it's a great piece of art. It's wonderful. The Walking Dead. Goodbye. So there you go, folks. Those That's my, my top picks there. Those are all my recommendations for the two weeks of new comic book day, July 3rd and July 10th. Let me go ahead and lock the comic book vault door. And there you go. Please go to a local comic book shop. Buy these comic books immediately. All seven of them. You will be so happy that you did. If you have any questions or comments or want your own personal comic book recommendation, just email me at chris at sunspotscomics.com. And to see the Sunspots Comics universe encapsulated in one place with all of my favorite picks of the week since May of 2015, go to sunspotscomics.com. Check us out. Click the pull list. I just updated. I'm reading 72 comics currently. That's a lot. Titles. Yes. It's a real number. Also, click on Top Comic Books of the Week, and you'll see all of my past Top Comic Book picks. It's all there. So there's amazing stuff there. You want to see, like, what do I what do I read? I wish there was a list. There's a list. Sunspotscomics.com. Click on Top Comic Book Picks. And I update the site every week. And I even have the podcast there to listen to if you want to listen directly to from my site. But please check out Sunspotscomics.com. I'd appreciate it. And also, thank you to our sponsor, Pop Up Tea. Yes, check out their huge selection of nerdy fun t-shirts at popuptea.com. They got a shirt for every nerdy thing you can think of. Trust me. And use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS on popuptea.com. If you use that promo code, you'll get 25% off of any shirt order. That's right. Just SUNSPOTSCOMICS is the promo code. So go check them out. Even the clearance shirts will be 25% off with that code. It's SUNSPOTSCOMICS. But go and check out and thank you to popuptea.com. So please tune in next week for issue number 212 of the Sunspots Comics podcast, where I have 20 new comics on my pull list next week that I'm going to be reading for New Comic Book Day, July 17th, uh, which is my son's birthday. Happy birthday in advance, Justin Jables. And by the way, five of my comics are new number ones that I'm definitely going to check out. Here's just a few of some of the new number ones next week that I'm really looking forward to reading. Like the first is Ghost Tree, issue number four of four. It's been a 
cover art winner, it's been an artist winner, it's been a number one pick of the week, Ghost Tree. And it's ending this tiny little series, four of four next week. I can't wait. Little Bird, issue number five of five, also coming to an end. It's been a cover artist winner of the week, it's been an artist winner of the week, it's been a top number one pick of the week. Uh, more than once, and it's only the fifth issue coming out, the ending of it next week. I can't wait. And Spider-Man Life Story, issue number five of six, almost ending as well. Great story of Spider-Man's actual life through decades. Like, they jump forward in time a decade every issue. So I think next coming up is the aughts? The 2000s? Possibly? But anyway, those are just three I'm looking forward to reading next week. New comic book day, July 17th. I can't wait. And don't forget, our Sunspots Comics Pledge. We're going to read a whole bunch of brand new comic books that come out, but only recommend to you the greatest of them so you can ultimately save some time and save some money. That's what it's all about. And help us out. Tell a nerdy loved one about the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Please give us some nice words and a five-star review. And seriously, it helps us. And if you do so, I'll even give you a shout-out on a future podcast and even mail you some free comic books. Yes just as a thank you for giving us a positive review on iTunes. I'll mail you stuff. Yes, free comics. So please, thank you so much for listening to the Sunspots Comics. Please, thank you. Please and thank you. That'll do it. (laughs) I hope you captured just some of the love of comic books, my love of comics. I hope you captured that or some of the fun and positivity I'm sending your direction. So uh, thank you so much again. um, Tune in next week. All the best to you. And like our, our good friend Stan used to say, Hang in there, heroes. Hang loose, heroes. <laughs> Hang loose, heroes. To be continued. See you next week. Bye-bye.